go to their Giving July a Giving in July program uh, campaign. It's online. Onita and Jean will be with us soon on Inside Track. Please give generously. Yep. Insiders, Bruce and I ask that you join us to create an Inside Track Action Alliance to help Jean Fedigan at Sister Jose, Onita with Reese Across America, and Greg Ayers Gap Ministries. These are great local groups that do important work in our community. We welcome your calls at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus Hotline today, 790-2040. The show's better with your participation. We have another great show for you today. In just a moment, we'll meet with current Arizona State Legislator Walt Blackman, who's running for the U.S. House of Representatives from what is currently CD1. Walt's an interesting fellow, and he starts off our campaign 2022 candidate reviews. At the bottom of the hour, former two-term AZ GOP state chair and former treasurer of the RNC, Randy Pullen, will give us the latest update on the Maricopa County vote audit. We'll go deep in with Randy to get the inside scoop on all the latest developments, as well as dispel some of the disinformation which has been spread by the left. Bruce. This portion of Inside Track is brought to you by my co-host, Ed Wilkinson, and his partner, Gary Imus from Imus Wilkinson Investment Management, whose baby steps approach to your wealth management is designed so you never have to solely depend on socialist security. Eb manages family wealth for my sister and does a fabulous job. Call Eb at 777-1911. That's 777-1911. And let him help you also. Since we last met together, the Suns and Bucks are now tied to games apiece in their best of seven series for the NBA championship. Game five is tonight in Phoenix. The championship is now the best of three affair with the Suns playing on the home court two of the three games. Let's hope our Arizona team, although from the north uh, of the Gila River area, continues to shine and bring back the first world title in our 109-year history here in Arizona. I'd like to comment before we get started with the rest of the show on two pieces of news which are intertwined. First is Joe Biden's over-the-top speech this week in the birthplace of our republic in Philadelphia, where he strung one falsehood after another, comparing America by directly implicating you and I as racist and insurrectionist criminals and a danger to the republic. Worse than Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union, hell, he said that the January 6 events were worse than the attack on Pearl Harbor and worse than World War II. And his Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, even asked you nations to investigate our racist nation perhaps you want to he might want to go to any uh, Arab state in the Middle East or China the next day the president and his henchmen sought to censor emails and texts between normal citizens for disinformation about the China virus or whatever which is blatantly illegal repression under the president's definition of disinformation he should be censored himself the president has blatantly broken his election promise to heal and unify the country and is not, despite all of his, uh, his proclamations, a moderate. He must be held accountable at the ballot box 17 months from now and in 2024. Heb? 
Hey, Bruce, on Sunday, hundreds of thousands of Cubans demonstrated in the streets countrywide to protest totalitarian repression and starvation of Cuban citizens by the communist strongman dictatorship struggling to hold on to their power over that oppressed island country. Since Sunday, Cuban secretary, uh, security thugs have made hundreds of illegal arrests, Protest uh, leaders disappeared, beatings in the streets, shootings, and our Democrat president and his socialist cohorts in the U.S. Congress have been absolutely silent. This government, 90 miles away from us, has become a narco state, and while its leaders live a life of luxury, its people are starving. Before the glorious Castro Revolution, Cuba's economy was equivalent to Italy. Today, 59 years later, the Cuban economy is less than Sudan in Africa. <laughs> Hugh Hewitt on this station has implored the okay. president to speak to our nation and the Cuban nation about the importance of liberty. Unfortunately, his far-left coalition won't permit him to do so. Bruce. Lastly, in the Wall Street Journal this morning, in their notable and quotable column, Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, writing for the Supreme Court in Grutter versus Bollinger in 2003, wrote the following. It has been 25 years since Justice Powell first approved the use of race to further an interest in student body diversity in the context of public higher education. She said, we expect that 25 years from now, the use of racial preferences will no longer be necessary to further the interests approved today. How sad it is that the left, which has continued to segregate Americans and practice the dangerous strategy of identity politics since the death of George Floyd to achieve their political goals. And friends, to paraphrase the Reverend Martin Luther King, we must overcome. Mr. Producer, let's go to our first break. When we return, Arizona legislature and CD1 congressional candidate Walt Blackman will join us. You're listening to Inside Track. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a jiffy after these great messages from our supporters. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the, the cities and the counties around have initiatives for artists. I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street at seven acres of metal you can walk through with our people and pick out what you want it's always interesting to see what the artists have done we've done uh, actually a couple projects with the u of a engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together they had to pick something out of the scrap and uh, they had to build an instrument and we have one of those in front of the plant some really cool things come out of the scrap tucson iron and metal surplus Call 209-1579, stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street, open Monday through Saturday. It's termite season. Bugs fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Ah, run for your life. Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. 
I'm Eb Wilkinson with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. That's imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911. That's 777-1911. Welcome back to Inside Track. This portion of today's show brought to you by our friends Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. They have some of the best surplus materials in stock to help you with your next project. You can find almost anything you need for the home or ranch at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus at super low prices. Don't go to the big box stores. Check out their steel products they have to offer at the 700 block of East 36th Street. And hey, when you're there... Uh, ask Jamie about her chickens. They're laying tons of eggs today. And a shout-out to Eric Rudin and his professional team at Essential Pest. Eric was on the show last week and gave us a lot of very good advice about summertime pest control. Call the Essential Pros at 886-3027 to protect your home or office. These are two great locally-owned family businesses you can depend on. Bruce and I do. So should you. Bruce. Hey, I'm just a, a quick correction on that number. It's 886-3029. That's 886-3029. What did I say? I want to make sure everybody, you said 27. It's okay, oh, my God. Man. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. That's almost like screwing up the phone number for Corazon Cabinet. <laughs> Don't remind me. Which, by the way, is 488-2266. And, Bruce, I got to tell you, my cabinets are looking great. I am so pleased that I spent the small amount of money that I did at Corazon Cabinet. They gave me such a great deal, great install. They look beautiful. Thanks very much, Eb. Okay, on to our first desk. CD1 congressional candidate Walt Blackman, who joins us on the Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus line from probably somewhere up in uh, – uh, northern or, or eastern Arizona. Walt Blackman is a conservative Republican who served in the United States Army for nearly 22 years as a frontline tank commander. He earned a Bronze Star for combat action in Iraq as well as Meritorious uh, Service Medal. He served seven tours of duty in some of the most dangerous battlefields on Earth, including Kosovo, Afghanistan, and Iraq, where he fought in the Second Battle of Fallujah. Upon completing active duty, Walt has continued his service by running for and winning a seat in the Arizona State Legislature as a state representative where he has become an effective leader in the GOP caucus. Welcome, Walt. How are you today? Fine, Hal. How are you? And thanks for having me today. I do appreciate it. You bet. Where are you today? I am up in northern Arizona in Snowflake. Um, so I, I've got an opportunity to spend time with my family because we're done with session. Uh, so uh, I'm up here doing uh, honeydews. <laughs> that's great. Just a normal yeah, guy, sir. just like the rest of us. That's that's great. Uh, yeah, I got hey, in twenty eight the trash too. <laughs> yeah, in 2018, you became the first Black Republican ever to serve in the Arizona Legislature. You've supported criminal justice reform, and you have reportedly said on Facebook. I do not support George Floyd, and I refuse to see him as a martyr, but I hope his family receives justice. You also call the Black Lives Matter movement a terrorist organization. Um, in reaction, 
the Arizona branches of the American Friends for Service Committee and the American Civil Liberties Union of Arizona said they would no longer work with you. How difficult has it been for you to be seen as different from other black Americans? Well, um, th that's a great question, and I, I still stand by uh, that statement I made last year. And at, being a black conservative in this time uh, that we're seeing in our, around our country is, is a, it's a bit challenging. Uh, because uh, you have the left that expect you or expect the person of color uh, to gravitate to the to the lie uh, to stay on the modern day plantation, and then you have um, the folks that are in the house that happen to be uh, liberals or Democrats that look at me like I've got a shoe growing out of my head because I am voting conservative and I believe in conservative uh, policies and and um, to make our country move forward. You know, Walt, it's interesting. Um, I used the same term once before on a broadcast on KVY um, and uh, regarding pl a plantation, and uh, I yeah. was roundly uh, criticized for it. But, but really and truly, I mean, you have you have the sanction to use that term. And um, how has it been for you, just as a as a as a black man uh, in and amongst? Uh, other black friends and, and colleagues and associates that you've had over, over the years. Um, how has that changed your life in terms of your relationship uh, with them? Because you and they don't share some of the same political beliefs. You're right. We don't share a lot of the same political uh, beliefs. When I was in the military, um, you, you really didn't have an opportunity uh, to, to voice your um, political opinions out loud because you know we all had to serve at the pleasure of whoever was serving in the White House. When I got out of the military is when I started to voice my uh, concerns about what's going on in the black community, what's what's happening with abortion, what's going on with the crime rate in the black communities. And the more that I said that, the more I was attacked. Um, and not because of the, uh, not because of um, what I said that's detailed in fact, it's the fact that I am a black man that's telling uh, folks exactly what's going on. And the left doesn't want to hear it. So I've, I've had uh, I've, I've had a few um, uh, uh, re remarks that, uh, that that really wasn't um, appropriate uh, to me and my family. Hmm. Yep. Walt, you're born in Portugal, yes, where your father served yep. in the U.S. Air Force. You served 21 yep. years. Uh, in the Army, where you were not only a tank commander, but you were also the sexual harassment and assault prevention senior program manager specialist. Yes, tell, sir. Yes. Tell us about yes. that. So um, a few years ago, I would say a little bit, about six years ago, the uh, military um, actually had to clean house with sexual harassment and sexual assaults. You know about tailhook and those sorts of issues that were happening. And sexual assault um, were, was um, actually growing and increasing in the military. So they came up with a program called SHARP, and it's Sexual Harassment Response uh, Program. And basically, it, it went in, um, we changed how we, did, how we trained um, sexual harassment and sexual assault. We trained how we, how we changed how we responded um, to uh, reports of that. And it was a, a significant change shift, if you will, in the military to taking care of victims of sexual assault and our harassment. So I was, I was tapped to go to uh, a school to do that. 
Um, a lot of it was because of my mediation skills, and um, I happened to be a senior NCO, um, and I was actually on a branch detail, uh, not a branch detail, but a detail to go and um, do that type of work. It was rewarding. Uh, opened my eyes up um, a lot uh, of what's what was going on in the military, and it also helps me on the outside when I'm dealing with people. Before you became uh, the senior program manager specialist for that, how much sexual yes. assault did you know of or hear about or believe in versus after you went through that training? So, um, actually, um, being a 19-kilo, um, I was in an all-male unit, and in most units that I was associated with was all, were all males, either infantry, armor, scouts. What, what I found out before I went to the program that there were, there were a lot of sexual assaults against males um, in some of the units. And, however, they were not reporting it because you, you get a person that's an infantryman or a mortarman or, or, a, or a tanker, and they get sexually assaulted. Um, that goes against everything that, uh, you know, a person's beliefs, and they, they typically don't officially report it, but when friends get together, they start talking, and, and then uh, the, the, the awful truth comes out. So I heard of a lot more sexual assaults um, when I wasn't in the program prior to the SHARP program um, developing. And, um, of course, when I went over to actually do the job, as program manager, um, I started to see how how the command structure changed to, to assist these folks um, that were reporting sexual assaults. So, what has been your most important? I'm switching subjects here a bit. What's been your most oh, important good. accomplishments at the Arizona Legislature that you believe make you qualified to run for the U.S. Congress? Well, first of all, um, I am the criminal justice chair of the newly formed Criminal Justice Committee. Um, I worked on and <clears throat> and sponsored um, several criminal justice reform bills. Uh, the bills that I um, actually, the last bill that I was working on, 2713, actually became a, the model legislation for conservative um, criminal justice reform across the country. Um, I'm most proud of that because w- what we have not done um, and when we're talking about criminal justice, not only here in Arizona, but across the country, uh, we haven't gotten to the root problem of, of curving out or slowing down the return rate to prisons. The answer to that is making sure that we have programming inside the prisons and also outside the prisons. So 2713 did that. Um, I'm very proud of that. It didn't get across the line. I've been working on it for three and a half years. We're going to continue to do it. How does it make me eligible, or how does it make me um, a subject matter expert and, and actually to serve in Congress? Well, first of all, I have a, I have a whole toolbox of experience and leadership um, and policy that I have brought forth to Arizona that we can use here in rural Arizona and also across the country. For example, um, in northern Arizona, we have an Internet problem. Um, so I've done two things. Um, establish that the issue is just not the, uh, the towers. It's, we're talking about the infrastructure of it. Um, I um, so sponsored and supported a bill that uh, supports $480 million um, to go to Internet infrastructure. Um, so um, I have a wide range of experience and policy when we're talking about serving in the U.S. Congress. Um, and the majority of my bills that have come out of caucus <laughs> Or come out of committees have been, 
unanimously, um, either nine to zero in committee or sixty to zero. So I do work across the aisle instead of just picking and choosing um, those hard subjects to um, to to work uh, to get something moving. Okay. Now, we've got like a minute and 15 seconds to the bottom of the hour. I do have an important question to ask you. Yes, sir. As a member of the Arizona legislature, uh, legislature according to Article 2, Section 2 of the Arizona Constitution, what's the stated purpose of government? Well, the stated purpose of, of a legislator is to protect its constituents from the federal government. And that right there... Uh, should be on everybody's mind that is a legislator. Because when we see big government, when we see things that happened at, in D.C., uh, the, the, uh, the, the big uh, encroachment of government, a legislator's job is to protect the Constitution, protect the people um, from the federal government. And, and we, we have the authority to do that uh, based on a Constitution. We just haven't followed it. And we follow the Constitution as legislators, state legislators. There's a lot that we can do to protect our constituents and our state um, from big government. So that's what I would say is the uh, the most important um, uh, aspects of, of the uh, of the of the job. Well, you're one of the few people who get it. Thank you. I hate to do this. Um, our time is coming to an end. Thanks for coming on Inside Track. Keep in touch. Thank you, sir. I'll give you a call okay. later during the week. How do Republicans find out more about you and support you? Well, what they can do is they can go to www.blackmanforcongress.com. That's spelled out, F-O-R. Go to there. Donate to my donate to my site. Look at my platform and know that I'm um, not only uh, continuing to fight for our country, I'm continuing to fight for all Arizonans uh, and our children from an anarchy and uh, a socialist agenda that's uh, pushed on the left. Walt, thank you so much. Mr. Producer, let's go to the bottom of the hour break. When we return, former RNC treasurer and audit leader Randy Pullen will be joining us. Stay tuned to Inside Track. We'll be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street, Call 520-209-1576 or go to TucsonIronRetail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. It's termite season. Fear the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. Go blue at Essential Pest Control. We'll eliminate those bugs, bees, and termites. And stop paying too much to that national provider. Buy local for great service and affordable rates. Call Essential Pest Control because termites fear the blue. Run for your life! Call for the blue trucks from Essential Pest Control. 886-3029. That's 886-3029. Or check online at EssentialPest.com. Ask not... What your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time. 
with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson. I-M-U-S-Wilkinson.com. 777-1911. 777-1911. Welcome back to Inside Track. Bruce is here remotely from Coronado, California, and Eb is in the KVOI studios. Before we get to our special guest, Randy Pullen, now is a perfect time to call our friends at Corazon Cabinets to get a jump on your next home improvement project. No supply chain problem on cabinets being available at Corazon. Joy and Allie have their 6,000 square foot warehouse stacked to the ceiling with cabinets ready for your next home project. Call and speak to the design professionals there at 488-2266. Our cabinets are due for installation in a couple of weeks at our house. They're just beautiful. I can hardly wait to get them installed. Okay, on to our special guest, Randy Pullen. Thanks very much for joining us, Randy. Uh, we're here for an update on the audit. Uh, and, and I have to tell you, Randy, whenever we speak uh, to, um, to Randy about the audit, I always point out that Randy is a certified public accountant, a former partner with one of the world's most prominent accounting, form, accounting firms, Deloitte, and he was a former RNC treasurer, a man with incredible incredible um, uh, dignity and authority and, and integrity. And I do this to illustrate the audit um, is a very serious effort to get to the truth about votes uh, that were cast and counted in the 2020 election. This is a serious uh, project being conducted in a business-like manner. I've known Randy for close to 15 years and he is someone I have implicit trust in. So Randy, what's the latest news on the Senate audit of the 2020 Maricopa County vote? Well, uh, the latest news as of today is we're moving ahead with the machine count of the ballots, and that's starting to come along pretty quickly. We had to do some training on the machines and learn how to most uh, effectively use them, but we have that all figured out now. And I think that all the physical labor work, Bruce, will be over uh, in the next two weeks. Okay, and that includes our side as well, on the machine count, which is being done directly by the Senate, as well as on the Cyber Ninja side, where they're finishing up their quality control. Uh, they got a lot of late information from the county on issues regarding duplicate ballots, and so they're going back through and cleaning up the files, their files, based on the updated information they got. They're, they're pretty close to being finished. So, on, uh, so you're going to get on to the machines, uh, but have uh, have you and the team been able to get full access and unlock all the all the codes uh, because that was being blocked for some period of time? Uh, we still don't have them. There's also little uh, fobs that go in there. You have to put in the tabulator, and then you have to have the uh, uh, the, the specific administrative uh, code to get in, and we don't have those. The county doesn't have them. The only place to get them is from Dominion, uh, which raises a very big question that came up uh, yesterday. Or excuse me, on Thursday, uh, when Ben Cotton, who is the CEO of Cipher, was going through his work. And he's done a lot of work. And by the way, you know, Bruce, I've been doing IT work for most of my life. And so I've had multiple conversations with Mr. Cotton. And he is very, very astute. He knows his business. He's a white hat, 
hacker, basically. Uh, and so his presentation on Thursday, the, what really came out of that for me, as well as I think for a lot of people in the, in the technical side, is that Maricopa County was not running the equipment, was not running that election. It was being run by Dominion because Maricopa County did not have access to anything. They could not prove that the systems were doing what they're supposed to do. They were relying upon Dominion to do all that for them. And I'm not surprised at that because, as you know, I, I did software development for the state of Arizona in a different lifetime. And I put in the state of Arizona's uh, automated financial accounting system in the early 80s. <laughs> and I, I can guarantee you I could have programmed in there to pay me $1,000 a month for the rest of my life. And they no, there's no one at the state who would have known I did it. So, but, but again, that's, that's having, the problem. But having had this experience uh, with this election in 2020, Randy, um, going forward, uh, doesn't there have to be some uh, improvement uh, or a great deal of improvement in the chain of custody issues uh, that existed in the 2020 election? Well, absolutely. And that's that's one of the, the major issues. And that was brought up that uh, the county has not given us a uh, chain of custody that they used internally for everything from their hardware systems, uh, the EMS systems, the tabulators, as well as the ballots. That's not been provided that's critical when you're doing an audit. Uh, the first thing you look at, the very first thing you look at, are the internal controls. And those are their internal controls. And if you don't get access to their internal controls, it's very difficult to understand what actually happened. Hmm. So, Randy, this audit has been challenged by the left, uh, by the media, by the Maricopa Board of Supervisors, who have a great deal of culpability. Uh, by the Maricopa County recorder, who I, I wonder uh, if Steve Richter is um, a Republican or if he's or if somehow he's been compromised. I mean, his comments this week were uh, were were dubious at best. And the uh, Democrat Arizona Secretary of State, what is what is their problem? All of these all of these people, what is their problem? Why don't they want to have an audit? Um, uh, performed. I mean, we're, we're, it's already too late for that. The audit's underway. But what's the danger? I mean, if, if it turns out that Donald Trump still lost the Arizona election, um, they're vindicated, and it's a great day for the Democrats. But why don't they want all the information to come out about the 2020 vote in Maricopa County? Well, uh, Bruce, it kind of goes back to, again, uh, what we discovered while we were doing the recount of the uh, paper ballots, and a lot of that was disclosed uh, as well on Thursday. But essentially, uh, so uh, typically, uh, on average, you have 200 ballots in a batch. That's the way they, they, they do it. Now, there are exceptions to that. But the problem is, so every batch has supposed to have a unique identification number on it. Well, guess what? We found boxes of ballots that had duplicate uh, batch numbers on them. So right away, you can see, how could you have the same batch number on two different boxes? You can't. It's a mistake. It's an error. Uh, 
and some uh, some of the batches labeled as originals for duplication. And that means there's a problem with the ballot with the original, and so then they have to duplicate it. Okay, and, and then that's the duplicate is what gets run through the system. Uh, well, as it turns out, some of the originals for duplication were in fact duplicate ballots. So we have duplicates of duplicates of duplicates, mm. and so uh, again that causes all kinds of questions as to what was going on. Uh, and as well, there was batches we found that were not on the manifest and were unlabeled. So, I mean, so what this gets down to, Bruce, is when you start seeing, and that's just the beginning. I mean, there's a lot more that we found. Uh, when you start looking through this, you start to realize that it was sloppy. The fact is it was sloppy. Okay. And they weren't following good procedures. Uh, and, and that's the problem. And that's why there's issues with elections is because we have problems with them following through on their procedures. Okay, now, typically, if they're not going to audit all your ballots or you hire one of these so-called audit firms that comes in and looks at a few thousand ballots and not two million ballots, well, you can kind of pre-pick which ballots you want them to look at. So they're not going to see all the problems that we discovered in looking at all the ballots. Okay, but if your your goal is just to get everything boxed up and not worry about it, because in 22 months you're going to essentially shred it all anyway, so they don't care. So that becomes the issue is they're, they're not following the procedures. Uh, so there's questions about integrity. There's questions about accuracy. Those are the kinds of things that raise questions in the minds of us as voters. And, and that's what's coming out of this is that, Again, uh, they they cut corners. They do what they have to do in order, as you know, at seven o'clock on Tuesday night, election night, they can just basically say, "Oh yeah, we're done. Everything's taken care of. It's good." All right, and that's that's the unfortunate part of this. And so, what we have is you know, we've seen a lot of of you can call it sloppiness. Uh, we've seen problems with the with the equipment that they didn't really have access to it. And so when you start adding all this together, it goes from being facts to being evidence. And that's what a forensic audit is all about. It's about evidence. And so, and that's what we do, what's been doing done at this audit. And I, believe me, I have done forensic audits at Deloitte. I, so I know how careful you have to be about everything. They have been very careful about the procedures, chain of custody, all those issues here at this audit, knowing that there was always a possibility that it could turn into a legal uh, court case. And so that's what the focus has been. Randy, uh, Ed Wilkinson here. You know, you were talking about the accuracy, about the precautions uh, that you're taking. Tell us about those special precautions that that the audit team is taking to ensure fairness and accuracy. Well, Every count that was done on ballots, whether it was a hand count or whether now we're doing machine counts, uh, counting the number of ballots, uh, everything is uh, totally uh, documented, what the process is, who's doing it. It's all under camera, so it's being streamed live full time. Uh, Everything is being checked and double checked on the numbers uh just to give you an example right now we're running uh counts on the the batches on the ballots and so if we if the manifest says there should be 200 in that batch and we run 
uh, through the machine, and we come up with 199. Okay, we rerun it again a second time. And if it comes up 199 again, well, then we know it wasn't 200, it was 199. Now, if it turns out it comes out 200, well, then we run it again, it comes out 200 again. Then we say, okay, it was 200. Okay, so uh, again, that's just the precautions that are being taken on everything. So, when- uh, you know, one other thing that I just wanted to kind of bring up that I kind of missed is on when you're doing the, uh, uh, you know, this is this issue about Sharpies and, and the kind of the report is that, oh, well, the way they print the ballots, uh, even if the Sharpies bleed through, it wouldn't matter because it wouldn't it wouldn't affect the vote on the other side. Well, I've got plenty of examples, and they showed examples of ballots with bleed-throughs on them that, in fact, you could see immediately would cause questions as to who was being voted for. Have you tested those out and seen if it did? Uh, That's something you have to go back and see if they duplicated the ballot. Because, again, you can see that the ballot's a problem. You have to go track this back to find the duplicate ballot. Now, in order to do that, you have to have the code. Okay, but what they didn't do in this election either very often, when I say very often, sometimes they did it, but uh, there's supposed to be a code on the original ballot and the duplicate, which tie them together. Well, guess what? You don't have that in the, uh, it's not on the ballots. They don't print that on the ballots. Uh, some of them do have it, but not very many of them. So again, it's very difficult to go back and find the uh, original and tie it to the duplicate to see if, in fact, they did do a duplicate ballot. Uh now, I would say, just looking at some of the ones I saw, that I would assume they did a duplicate ballot, because you can see that the mark was close enough to one of the other election ovals that it could call it into question. Okay, so again, that's one of those things you have to go back and dig in and look at to see if they actually uh, did it or not. Okay, so, you know, and, and those other things, it's like they ran out of ballots. Okay, so we were running voting centers, not not doing uh, precincts, okay? And so you have mul- so anybody can go into a voting center and vote there. It doesn't matter what precinct you're from. Well, they have to be able to give you the particular ballot for your address, okay? So they have to print those out. Well, guess what? They ran out of paper because it was such a huge turnout. And so they went out and they got other forms of paper. We know that for a fact, okay? And then when they printed the new ballots, they didn't print properly. And how do we know that? It's because every ballot, when you run out of ballots, you have to print a new one. Uh, what happens is there is a little uh, calibration measurement that's done on the front of the page. It's like a, uh, a circle with a crosshair in it. And on the back of the ballot, there's a, a little point there across. And they have to line up perfectly when you take an image of it. And that's why you have to image the ballots to see if they line up. And guess what? They didn't line up. They didn't meet national standards for this type of a uh, calibration measurement. Okay, so what that would technically mean is that ballot was not an official ballot. But guess what? It was counted anyway. So these are the kinds of things that we run into that cause questions about what are the procedures they're following and can you trust them? Okay, and that's what was coming out on Thursday. And believe me, that was just kind of the tip of the iceberg on Thursday. There's more of that coming out. Are you looking at mail-in ballots uh, and finding out that they have no folds in them? Uh, 
uh, you know, that's one of the things they can do. Uh, so they are doing that. Uh, I will tell you that, uh, I, so I wasn't like doing it 100% of the time, but I certainly could see when they opened up a box full of early ballots, I didn't see any in there that weren't folded. So again, there might be some of those, there might not be, but, but the point is, again, if you look at the way they're conducting the election, you realize that it's pretty sloppy. And so then you start questioning, well, how accurate is it? Okay, and that's the problem. That's what needs to be resolved so this doesn't happen in the future again. Uh, and that's uh, and that's really what this audit is about. It's, it's really focused on making sure that all these kinds of things are corrected going forward so that you and I and all of us, all voters can trust the system that's in place. When do you expect the audit so, Randy, to be completed? I think that, well, uh, all the physical work, like I said, will be finished in the next two weeks. Uh, that's not an issue. Uh, as far as writing the report, they are working on it right now. I know they started about 10 days ago on it. Uh, so they'll have a draft report out, I'm guessing, pretty close to the end of the month. And that will go to the Senate for their review, any questions they might have. And then I would say the final report will probably be out uh, by the middle of August, something like that. So, uh, Randy, um, you're, what, what this team is doing is really groundbreaking. I mean, there, there, there's audits and then there's audits. I mean, most of the audits, as you, as you uh, described before, there, there are limited numbers of samples, and they basically just uh, run them through the machine, uh, and there's really not much study uh, beyond that. There's, yeah. In what you're doing today, there's really no standard. Um, you're really making some, some history. There, you're, you're setting standards for a future, aren't you? Yes, and that's, that's the whole point on this. Uh, the audits that were done <laughs> be previously by the county – I'm an auditor, okay? I re read their reports to see what they did. Those were not audits, in my opinion. Those was what we would call a review. Basically, you just came in, and they showed you what you wanted. They wanted you to look at. You looked at those documents, and, and then you said, that looks okay. Well, same thing on the machines. If you don't have access to the administrative side of the machine, how do you know that the software that you're testing to see if it works properly is the software that was in use on election day you don't and that's the problem okay is that if you if, if only dominion has access to that then you're totally relying upon them that's the problem and i think and i think the board of supervisors has uh announced that they're not going to use the dominion machines in 2022 but what are Which they going hilarious. to replace? Bruce, that is hilarious. Yeah. They're saying that they've been compromised. They've not been compromised. We have a chain of custody which shows everything we did on those machines. All we did was just download the data off of the files. Okay, now I guess they don't have anybody at the county who's qualified to look at those machines, but maybe they need to have Dominion come look at them and say, well, these machines are okay. All right, we can we can load the software for the 2024 election uh, as well. So I mean that, that's kind of ludicrous to be saying things like that. Uh, I think that's more for uh, you know public release in the media than it is in reality a problem. Uh, again, any any 
company who has IT technology or experience and knowledge that you need could come in and look at that, provided they could get access to the machines totally, and say, you know, that they're good or they're bad. Or, or, or you can do what happens in the IT industry, which is you completely wipe off everything from that EMS system or that tabulator, and you completely reload it again with the software. It, the hardware is just the hardware. Okay, it's the software that changes. Bruce, we have a caller. Mark? Yes, uh, thanks for your great show again today, Bruce and Ed. And uh, wanted to ask if... Um, your guests can postulate on what um, maybe like a series of uh, things that happened that uh, caused this uh, vote count to go so wrong. And uh, was it a bipartisan effort or uh, were we being duped or what he thinks about how it went wrong? Randy. Thanks, Mark. Are, are we are we talking about the election? Is that what we're talking about? No, the vote count. Oh, what we're doing now? The vote count, yes. The, the original vote count. Why was it so? Oh, the original, after the, yeah. after what, the election, the original happened? vote count. Uh, okay, well, that's, that's a reasonable question. Uh, again, that's, and that's, and, you know, I was the former chairman of the party, uh, and I saw all kinds of problems with the voting system when I was chairman of the party. And it kind of goes back to uh, when we started the early voting mail-in voting system. Uh, there's so many ways to penetrate that system and break it. We've, we've seen it. I've seen it. Bruce has seen it. We're aware of it. Uh, I'll, I'll just give you one simple example. This goes back to the 2008 election. Uh, we were like going, my team was at the state party was going through looking at uh the votes because you know there are some questions and so we found a vacant lot that had 18 registered voters and how do i know it's a vacant lot well my team said it was but i drove out and looked at it and took a picture of it okay well when you have eight believe me there weren't any homeless people living on the lot either uh and so when you have 18 people registered to a vacant lot and then you take that information to the county recorder at that time and you present it to her and she looks at it and you say these, you know, these people need, these voters need to be gotten off the rolls. Clearly there's a problem here. And the answer was, well, no, you can't do that. You have to go to court in order to get them off the voter rolls. Oh, come okay, on. So, yeah, yeah. And so, so I, so I go back to my team and say, so how much is going to cost us to take this to court and, and see if we can get these removed off of the voter rolls? They said, well, based on the way the system works, it's probably going to be about at least $50,000 to get 18 people removed. Okay, that's the problem with the system is it's not being cleaned up on a routine basis, and it really comes down to the early voting is so easy to penetrate. And then we have the additional problem of the federal ballots, which we call them platinum ballots. And the agreement that was reached in Arizona uh, back again uh, in the day when I was chairman was that uh, we'd have two ballots. If you were a state resident, i.e. citizen, and, and resided in Arizona, you could vote the Arizona ballot, which means you could vote all the state races. If you just wanted to vote the federal races, well, you could sign up on the federal system, which doesn't require any proof of ID or anything. All you have to do is just sign it, and you're done. Okay? And so uh, you can get a platinum ballot. 
which means you can vote the federal races, the president, the Senate, uh, that, that type of stuff. Okay, and that's, that's the other problem. Is so now we have a system in place by the federal government that doesn't require any proof of citizenship or residency. Okay, uh, they, just, they just sign it and say, I am, and you have to accept it. Wow. And so that's the problem. We need to get the entire system cleaned up. We need to get the federal government out of our uh, election system. It needs to be handled at the state level. That was what was always intended in the Constitution, that it wasn't going to be a federal. It was going to be handled at the state level. State legislatures were going to be in control of these state elections and federal elections, which were part of the state elections. That was always the intent. Randy, we have one minute left. What do you want us to know? What do I want you to know is that I want you to know that regardless of what's being said by all kinds of sources like supervisors, uh, the new recorder for Maricopa County, is this audit was done very professionally, very officially. It's been complicated, but they caused the complications. Okay, but we're getting it done, and I think a report will come out here another month or so that will pretty much show that there needs to be major updates to the election system in the counties in Arizona. Randy, thank you so much. Uh, Insiders, we're out of time. I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Walt Blackman and Randy Pullen. We've got loads of great guests lined up all through the rest of July, so tune in again next week. Until next Saturday, this is Eb Wilkinson. And Bruce Ash. Thanking you for all joining us here and wishing you all a good afternoon. For Inside Track, this is Eb. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our biggest customers are actually like ranchers and people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is A, we sell scrap to the mill. So... Uh, We have a relationship there, and then we can buy material, what they're making, bringing it back. And so we save on freight, and we have relationships for years with them. So I think that's really our niche market. We'll sell whatever you need. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. I'm Eb Wilkinson with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. I don't ever want you to be dependent on government ever again. I want you to become financially independent. You will never, ever have to depend on socialist security for your survival. We are here to guide you to financial independence. That's imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911. That's 777-1911.